Good morning. Thank you for listening. It is uh, a cold, bitterly cold Sunday morning. I'm sitting out in my car right now, which is the closest thing I have to soundproofness here at uh, my home. I have a four-year-old toddler who is on a 7 a.m. rampage inside the house right now, so recording inside was not going to happen. So I uh, warmed up my car, and here we go. <laughs> Let's talk. Let's chat. It's weird that the um, – it's so weird. I get it. I know this is how weather works and lake effect snow and stuff, but I live in Brighton, New York, which is essentially Rochester, not specifically downtown, but we are centrally located Rochester, kind of just outside. I live like a mile from the city limit. And and so to think about the snow and the winter just like shellacking that Buffalo and um, – really that whole kind of area buffalo all the way down erie into northeast ohio got and then to look outside and realize we got next to nothing i mean i'm looking out we got basically dusted with snow here it's crazy to think that that's how different it can be just from little area to little area but it is what it is anyway very uh, eventful week this week if you haven't heard for not just myself but really for everyone at craft cannery I want to kind of walk you through the whole Grow New York process here. But the great thing is that we ended up earning $500,000 in award money from Grow New York this week, which is huge. It's basically the second best you can do. The best you can do is a million dollars. And so I'll walk you through basically the whole thing. And uh, I am hoping, to tell you the truth, really hoping that some other Grow New York, uh, aspiring Grow New York applicants or possibly uh, Grow New York finalists from this year who who did not get awarded money but are, are going to come back next year listen to this and uh and if possible pick up a couple of things to be honest with you i don't know if you'll pick up anything because i thought especially in regards to the other 19 from this year i think all 19 of you were brilliant um before i go back and kind of go in chronological order on this whole journey the pitches that I heard and I listened to every single pitch with actually with two exceptions and I'll explain when we get there but I listened to I guess that would be 18 of the 20 pitches and every one of them every one of them when they were finished giving their pitch I thought to myself well that's the best idea I've ever heard they're definitely going to win (laughs) you know they're just it's just all such brilliant people and it is such a a good feeling i don't know how to put it any more eloquently than just a good feeling to know that that much brilliance and innovation exists with young entrepreneurs right now and this is just in one space you know food and agriculture so let's go back and talk about this entire journey for us so for us This really started at Grow New York 2021. Uh, I had been invited a couple of months prior to that, so this would have been late summer-ish of 2021. I'd been invited by Genesee County to uh, take part in this thing called Grow New York. Um, Not as a finalist, simply as a uh, person who had a kiosk and was doing a display and talking to potential (laughs) customers for Craft Cannery. See, um... Prior to that, I had heard of Grow New York because I'm friends with Michelle Little from Perfect Granola, and so I knew that this thing existed. I had looked into it a little bit, and I had seen, but again, I just always thought, wow, you know, you have to be on genius level to to even get yourself included in this. And so in 2021, I joined Chris Swazi and Jim Krensick and uh, went to uh, and I, I went to Grow New York 2021 and was part of the Genesee County kiosk there. And um, while the pitches were happening last year, the 2021 pitches, I found my way into the awards, uh, excuse me, into the pitch room. And I just watched them all. I I sat there and watched all 20 over the course of two days. Uh, And then I would come out in between and I would sit at my kiosk and talk to people and potential, you know, customers and potential or just people that were inquiring about the business, whatever. And... I sat in that audience and I thought of those 20 businesses that I heard, it was more confirmation of what I had thought. And it was that they were all 
so far ahead of anything we had going on. And quite frankly, really, it was just more brilliant. And if I can break this down into just simple human feelings, it was just, I am not smart enough and my business is not good enough to be on that stage. Really, that's where I was coming from on it. And we could dive into self-esteem. And if you've been listening to this podcast for a long time, you know there are self-esteem issues with me. There's always been some confidence issues with me. Um, but uh, but I, I've worked on that quite a bit. The self-esteem thing is probably going to be something I'm going to battle for my whole life. But confidence I'm getting a lot better at. So the Grow New York competition last year comes and goes. And, uh, and you know, and it was a, a very enjoyable experience. And then a bunch of months go by, and the next thing you know – we get an email, and this is probably, I want to say maybe May or so of 2022, we get an email saying, hey, the applications are open for this year's Grow New York uh, Summit. And I start telling my partner, Tom, about it, and I'm like, yeah, you know, maybe I don't know, maybe we we file an application. You know, we, we don't make it in. Nobody's going to know we didn't make it in, you know. It is what it is. Like, let's just let's file an application. You never know. It's kind of a you never know thing. So how did I mentally leap from I'm not smart enough, my business isn't good enough to that, to get there, uh, to the point of thinking, well, let me do an application. Well, that was uh, reading a little bit more about the program and learning about something called the rubric. The rubric is the exact measure upon which they are scoring the, uh, I guess you could call it contestants. I don't know. The finalists. That's the better word. Um. As I read through the rubric, I thought, you know, it's it, as much as we aren't reinventing the wheel here at Craft Cannery, it would be hard to argue that we're not doing a pretty good job against all five sections of this rubric. And the rubric is this. There's five things, and you're scored on a score of, you know, I guess one to ten on these things. So number one is commercialization and viability. Long story short, that's basically a question of, is this something that could actually make money? Is this idea a good business idea? Okay, business model in general. Number two, customer value. Are you offering something truly unique and special to your customers? Number three, team. Do you have a qualified staff and advisory board and executive team? And can that team, do we believe that team can lead you to growth and success? Innovation, what is it that you have created that is truly unique and special and is a game changer within your industry? And finally, job creation. How many jobs are you going to create right here in the Grow New York region? And the Grow New York region is not all of New York State. It's not even all of upstate New York. It's really Rochester and its surrounding areas, Syracuse and its surrounding areas, down into the Finger Lakes, sort of a straight line down all the way down to the state line. So it's like a specific chunk of the middle of New York State. Now, when I sat and looked at that rubric, I thought, boy, you know, on the one hand, I don't know that I can get up on that stage and sound eloquent the way everyone did that I saw in 2021, but I do believe that I stand a good chance of being able to make an argument that we should score 10 on all five of those things. You know, I couldn't think of anything in there where maybe we weren't great, uh, and, and and later we do kind of pick away at that, and so I'll, I'll come back to that, but uh, at the time I thought it's worth filing the application. So I went through, filed an application, and uh, had a slumdog millionaire moment where the the stars kind of aligned on me for something and i'll explain exactly what i mean by that if you don't know slumdog millionaire the the plot of the movie is he goes on who wants to be a millionaire and he wins but all 15 questions are from some crazy like just traumatic moment from his life they just happen to be things from those moments and so it was just this ultimate like coincidence of circumstances and so i had a small bit of that in that Part of the Grow New York application was not required, but it it's, I think, encouraged was to upload a video, create a video. And so I had a client at the time who was interested in starting a, a project who was coming to me and saying, look, I don't have a lot of money to get started. And uh, But I knew him from chatting with him and getting to know my clients that he was a video editor, that he worked for an agency in Buffalo, and that what he did for a living was he made videos. And so... I simply did a trade with him. I just asked him, I said, hey, how about this? We'll do a little bit of work for you on us. 
in exchange for you create this video for us. And he did, and it was fantastic. He made this amazing Grow New York application video that we uh, uploaded with our application. We sat and thought through all of our answers. I remember my partner Tom Riggio and I sitting in our conference room. I put the application up on the big screen and we just went through every single one of our answers and really just thought it through really well. I mean, we put the time in, we put the work in, and finally we hit submit. A month or two later, I suppose this would now put us into maybe summer, late summer. This is probably August-ish, I think, probably early to mid-August. I'm on the phone with my wife, middle of a work day, literally talking about like, hey, you know, I'm, uh, uh, yeah, I'm le- I'll be leaving work around 3.30. What do you want me to bring home for, for dinner? And I'm sitting in front of my laptop and I see a email pop up from Grow New York and I click on it and it says, congratulations, you've been named a finalist. And I said right over the phone, I went, hold on, right, hold on. Holy shit. And I just went, I think we're, I, we just got an email saying we're finalists for Grow New York. And she had known, you know, I kept her in on the process the whole time. She's, oh, my God, that's amazing. And I was like, that's amazing. Holy cow. So, like, I talked to her for a couple of more minutes. I read the, the email seven, eight, nine, ten times in a row. Hang up with my wife, call my partner, tell him. Everyone's all excited. It's a huge deal. And, of course, it's embargoed, which means can't tell anyone yet. We're going to announce this on August 31st, which I think was something like two weeks later. And so for two weeks, can't tell anybody, <laughs> you know. So, two weeks come and go. Finally, they're going to make this announcement. It's August 31st now, right? The morning of, I'm not kidding you, the morning of the announcement where it's going to go public that we're a finalist, we get an email saying, thank you so much for your application this year. As you know, the finalists will be announced today. Unfortunately, your company has not been chosen. And I go, huh? I'm like, oh, what? what happened? You know, I'm what happened? I'm freaking out. Uh, in the meantime, in the past two weeks, we had been asked to like sign a contract saying that we intended to pitch. You know, we had there had been some communication between us and Grow New York, and so I was thinking, God, if this was some sort of a mistake, oh, what a devastating way to find out. You know, especially because we had done some stuff, not a lot, but like I said, we'd been asked to sign a contract saying that we intended to be a part of this prior to the official, uh, you know, announcing of the finalists. And so, um, so I call my partner and I'm like, I, I don't know. I think maybe we didn't get in. We got this other email and he calmed me down right away. He was just like, you got in. Don't worry. We signed the contract thing. This is clearly a mistake. Sure enough, about 20 minutes later, we get another email. It's a long 20 minutes though, but we get another email about 20 minutes later. And it says, excuse us, due to a technical glitch, everybody got the email that says you didn't make it. But you, we promise you are a finalist. So obviously, there were 20 other businesses going through the exact same thing I was going through at that time of freaking out and going, oh my god, I thought we were a finalist. So they announce that you're finalists, and then you get assigned a mentor. And they give us this uh, this mentor who's essentially meant to work as a liaison between you and Grow New York. So for one, if you have any questions really specific to the contest um, he or the competition, I shouldn't call it a contest. There's a few words I'm trying not to use, and I've used them all. First of all, contestants, contest. I don't want to use the word winning either. I feel, I feel like it is a competition and that the winners are those who have earned their prizes. But, of course, I slip. I use the wrong words. Anyway, they give you a mentor, and um, and the mentor's job is to be like a liaison between Grow New York and your team. So if you have any questions very specific to the competition. But also, the mentors are really to work with you, to, to help you put together the best possible pitch. In, uh, in our case, and I think in most cases, the teams were given mentors who have been doing this now for a few years. This competition's been around for four years, and our mentor has been part of it all four years. So quickly what I found out was that we were given this amazing mentor named Eric Mazdi, whose regular job is uh, he works for Corning, for the the glass company. And um, why he's so amazing is because the very first year he mentored the winning team, Real Eats, who won a million dollars. The second year, he mentored a team called Norway, Norway Brewing, who was in the competition this year and sadly didn't win anything, even though, in my opinion, 
they deserved to win something. I actually thought that they were going to win a big prize because their pitch was so strong. They take uh, essentially they take yogurt byproduct. They take like the the um, waste from yogurt, the whey w h e y, and turn it into hard seltzer. And it's really good, delicious stuff too. Um, and I just I really thought, man, I, I thought those guys were off to the races once I heard their pitch. But um, even before knowing their pitch, I knew of their business. I knew them personally. Uh, one of their guys, Tristan, I, I've known for a few years, and I just thought those guys were going to do great. But anyway, that was Eric's team in year two. So I knew I had a chance to do some recon on Eric and learn about him from Tristan. Uh, year three, he had another company called Draft Lab, which is a sensory company. So they do um, – they do. Uh, testing this is a really really bad explanation but think of it like they organize taste tests for things if you want to come up with a new salsa for example they can actually organize the taste tests to see if the public is going to like this product Um, and that's a way oversimplified explanation of what they do but anyway of the three previous years eric had a grand prize winner and he had a two hundred and fifty thousand prize winner so he had won before so we had this mentor who's had a couple of, of hits, including one big hit. And so I, I got excited. I thought, wow, we've, they've given us somebody who really knows what he's doing. And so I got excited about that. And, of course, we started working with Eric, and he was just brilliant. And um, we had a couple of meetings with him. And then finally, on like our third meeting with him, and this is probably early October, because we had from mid-September until November 1st to plan our pitch. And uh, that was about a six-week period of time. The pitches were due November 1st. The competition was the 15th and the 16th of November. But you had to submit your pitch deck. Granted, with the pitch, the verbal part, you know, the part that you actually say out loud, that part, I suppose, you could have tweaked right up until the last second. I mean, you could tweak it on stage if you want. It's live, right? But um, the actual pitch deck, the slides to which you're going to be speaking to, those really needed to be submitted by November 1st. So we got to work. And the very first version of our pitch, I did by myself with no help. And I did it. I pitched it to Eric and to Tom, my partner, my business partner. And it was not even close to 10 minutes long. I had built a couple of slides that, as my wife described, looked like a 10-year-old built them. I had this slide. like The only slide that I built that made it through all the way to the very end was the very first slide, which was just a picture of our building. And that slide didn't even make it through all the way untouched. That slide ended up getting updated a couple of times. We took pictures. First we did it. We decided we should do it. So it was originally just like a picture of our building with like gray skies. Then we decided, well, we should do it again. You know, today's a beautiful day. Let's go get a picture of it with blue skies. Then we decided, well, we should get our employees in there. Let's take a picture with our employees in there. So, like, even that slide evolved. But the first time I ever showed it, it was that. Then the very next slide was, like, this this light bulb that I was just going to hit next on, like, ten times, and the word no was going to pop up over and over and over, and it was going to be about how small businesses can never get a yes from co-packers from contract manufacturers it's so hard to get a hold of one and i just got you know i mean they let me they're professional guys so they let me get through that pitch to them but it just didn't go well and they essentially just said you know nice try i think we maybe need to start from scratch and at that time they had even given us this pitch coach which was a guy who uh was available to all the teams who basically we could pitch in front of and he would give us feedback and you could pitch in front of him as many times as you wanted and he would let you know as you were getting better so we did it in front of this guy this one time and he just beat the shit out of it I mean he just told us he's like well you know it needs to be a lot better he's like you have a strong message somewhere in here find something better so when people say oh it wasn't me it was the team I'm the guy who got to go on stage at Grow New York and look good But my partner, Tom, and Eric, our mentor, Eric, and later um, this girl, Jen Moritz, who works for Dixon Schwab with my wife, who ended up like kind of massaging our pitch deck, they're the reason we got where we were. I I mean, I might have been the guy who got on stage and said the things, and I know the things, and they're in my heart, they're in my soul, but the actual putting together of the pitch deck and organizing the pitch itself – was all the smart people around me. It was just more and more example of what you hear when people say, never be the smartest one in the room. It it was just, honestly, the 
the stars aligned. I got I got so lucky and got to really see what it was like to watch the people and the team around me just kind of step up and, and get this thing done. And so over the course of the next month, little by little, we whittled away at this pitch deck. And a um, couple of big breakthrough moments, uh, I would say one was Eric came up to the region at one point. Um, Eric lives in Charlotte, North Carolina, but he came up and spent a couple of days with us. He and I spent an entire day in a room together just working on that PowerPoint. And I don't have the PowerPoint skills, but I know the the subject matter. And so between his PowerPoint skills and my knowing of the subject matter, we were able to really you know, get some nice slides put together and then ended up hiring a girl who, as I mentioned, works with my wife at Dixon Schwabble, and she just gave it a pass and kind of formatted it and made it all look nice and look good. And then, of course, a round or two of edits even after that. You know, can you tweak this, tweak that, add this, subtract that, et cetera, et cetera. We got the pitch deck, and it was November 1st. Before you knew it, we're good. Well, now we got to put words to it, right? And up until this point, I kind of knew what the words were going to be for each slide, but I'd never actually done it. And so this one day I go into work and I decide today's the day and I go and I grab a couple of my employees and I say, can you just sit there and, and listen to this and tell me what you think? And I just start pulling up the slides and I just start speaking to them. No memorization, no script, nothing. I just start pulling up the slides, looking at the slide, and then looking back at the guys and telling them what I wanted this slide to be. And before I knew it, I had created a pitch. Problem was it needed to be 10 minutes long. And I went for about 15 minutes. So I was way long. So I did that probably for five or six days. I just got really good at speaking to the slides, knowing for each slide the exact message I wanted to get across. And still, though, coming in around 15 or so minutes long. And uh, about with probably a week and a half left to go, we finally said, okay, we got to chop 15 minutes out of, uh, excuse me we got to chop five minutes out of this thing where does it come from so we put our heads together and the part where we took time out of there was we had five areas of the rubric as i've already pointed out to you and there was one spot where we were a little worried see for commercialization and viability we thought we were very strong right we we are a company who has made money and is profitable for uh customer value we thought very strong no matter the size of your business, there's something we can offer you that's difficult to find elsewhere. Uh, team, we thought we were very strong. By this time, we had Stephanie Ledestri, Aaron Tolfrey, Frank Cavallaro, Bruno Xavier had all joined our advisory board, and we were feeling really good about the strength there. Plus, our executive team, myself, my partner, Tom. If you don't know my partner, Tom, he has a career in branding like you wouldn't believe. I mean, this guy has gone from, like, millions to billions several times. He was with Vitamin Water, Bark Thins, and Pirate's Booty. In each of those situations, he was not only at an investor level but an executive level. He was hands-on as an executive but also had skin in the game as an investor. And obviously, if you've heard of those three brands, they all went well. That's my friend. <laughs> That's my partner. I know. I'm so proud. Anyway. Um, so we thought we had team down job creation. We thought for sure we're manufacturing. It's almost easy. The job creation part, because as you add volume and as you, as you add business, you have to add employees. It was almost, it's just a given the one spot where we thought, Hmm, if I was a judge, where might I poke holes in this whole thing? And it was innovation. That's where we thought. And, and I'll tell you right now what my deepest, darkest fears were. My deepest, darkest fears were that I was going to get on stage and say, look how innovative we are as a co-packer, and that somebody, a judge, was going to say, how can you say you are innovative? The clients that you have are the ones who are creating these products. And immediately that doesn't feel right to me because I know that's not fully true, and I'll explain exactly what I mean. The clients, of course, are the heart and soul of the whole thing. The clients create the recipes in most cases, and I guess this is getting a little nuanced into exactly what co-packing is, but in most cases, the clients have to have put together the first couple of pieces of the puzzle before they come to us. Of course, they, do, they deserve a ton of credit in the overall creation of their products. Of course they do. Uh, but the puzzle thing is a really good way of putting this. It's a good analogy. By definition, when they approach a manufacturer... A business has probably put together 
let's say it's a puzzle of 10 pieces, right? I have a toddler. He does a lot of floor puzzles, and it's like 10 pieces. Let's say there's 10 pieces to the puzzle. Most of the phone calls I get are from entrepreneurs who have anywhere between one and nine pieces of those puzzle of that puzzle already put together. In the case of the the startup entrepreneurs with a dollar and a dream who just want to bottle mom's sauce, uh, all they've the only piece, they might only have one piece of the puzzle down so far, and that would be that they've got this home recipe, right? Other than that, they don't know what to do. So we're responsible for bringing nine pieces of the puzzle to that game. But we do it, and the product comes to the to the market, right? In the other case, we'll take a company like a larger company who's got an established sales record. They've got a dialed-in product ready to go. They might be coming to us with nine pieces of the puzzle ready to go, right? They've got shelf placement. They've got branding. They've got a great recipe. What they're missing is the manufacturing element, or they need a new manufacturer. They have some sort of a problem that needs solved, or they wouldn't be calling me to begin with. In those cases, somebody might be coming to us with nine pieces of the puzzle ready to go, but they need that one final piece that we can provide before the puzzle is complete and we can go to market. So I hope that that's a good way of kind of explaining to you how I feel it's okay to take some. In no cases do we ever think it's okay to take all credit, but we take some credit for these products making it to market because they have to come through our facility and and get touched in several different ways, whether it's the scaling of the recipe, the marketing, the placement in stores, simply the access to manufacturing equipment, a bottling line, things like that. We are bringing something to the table in each case for these products to make it to market. So I thought, hey, that's, that's innovative. And then it was pointed out to me that the definition of an invention is the creation of something brand new, right? An invention is the light bulb moment. An invention is something new that someone has created bringing the invention to market is actually innovation and getting it to market without us would either be impossible or extremely difficult for most of our clients if there was no step like us not just us specifically saying without craft cannery i'm saying without a co-packer in general getting to market without a co-packer in general would be almost impossible because everyone would have to be running around building these commercial kitchens or joining up at something called, like the commissary or, or, or whatever, get, being a part of an incubator. And so that all kind of clicked for me where I said, wow, you know, what we're doing is innovative. We just have to pitch it correctly. <clears throat> so the original version of the pitch had about six examples, and that's where we cut for time. That's where we said, okay, because I, I have this slide, and you will see the pitch eventually because they are going to put it on YouTube in its entirety eventually. But um, I, So I put up this, uh, this, this slide that had the six different kind of key elements of places where I think we are innovative, and originally I gave an example across the entire board of each and everything. And in the final pitch, I cut that down to just what I thought were the two best examples. And that's the only thing that we cut to get from 15 minutes down to 10. And so once we had it down to 10 minutes, I just drilled and drilled and drilled. And, uh, and, and one thing I think I did that was very important was I got out in front of people. I got out in front of people who are in this position as investors or as business owners, and I pitched to them. And so a few key ones I did was uh, at one point we had Mark Allen who's from Royal Oak uh, Real Estate Trusts. We had uh, one of the guys, Eric, from uh, um, 43 North, which is an investment competition in Buffalo. We pitched to those guys and got a lot of great feedback. Uh, at one point, I went to the Cornell University Center of Excellence. I pitched in, in their boardroom in front of their leadership team and got some great feedback. And uh, at one point, I went out to my wife's job out to Dixon Schwabel and pitched in front of them and got some excellent feedback. And in fact... It was those three feedback sessions where I thought we really went from having a good pitch to a great pitch. So we go into Syracuse thinking we have a great pitch. Now, I got there on Saturday. They were urging teams to get there on Sunday. I actually got there on Saturday on accident because my wife had booked us tickets to go to the Landmark Theater to see Tootsie on that Saturday night. And uh, we had missed Tootsie when it was in Rochester because we are Broadway season ticket holders and when Tootsie came to town my parents also came to town the day before and brought with them a little something called COVID so we had been exposed and didn't feel comfortable going to the theater the next night 
and it is what it is. So we missed Tootsie. So my wife was like, I don't want to miss Tootsie. I'm buying tickets for Tootsie in Syracuse. Just so happened to be the night before I needed to be in Syracuse anyway. So we made a long trip out of it. I take I take a little aside. If you've been listening to the podcast for the last few weeks, you know that I took my mom to see Hamilton the night before, Friday night in Rochester, the night before I went to Syracuse, and it was the single best theater experience I've ever had. Not only being with my mother and having her experience all of what what we get to experience all the time, but also sitting we were front and center. We were in the fourth row center orchestra. You cannot beat that. Oh my god, what an experience. So anyway, I get to Syracuse Saturday afternoon, have a date night with my wife. Sunday, she drops me off at the hotel. She's back to Rochester. Now I'm alone, and I get the day Sunday as an introvert to just be alone, and I needed it because Monday through Wednesday was a lot of being on. You know what I mean about being on? Just mentally on, talking to people and having to be at the height of, I don't know, mentally on. I don't know how else to put it. For three straight days, I knew it was going to be exhausting when it was all said and done. And it did end up catching up to me. By the time we got back to Rochester, Thursday afternoon, I was beat, absolutely beat. I think I ended up working about a five- or six-hour day Thursday, mostly just on the phone talking to people. And by the end of a five- or six-hour workday, I was beat. I mean, I'm a guy who puts in 12 hours on the regular. On that particular day, I worked six, and I was tired. So it was like it was catching up to me. Anyway, I spend the whole day Sunday watching football. One beef I have with Syracuse is the fact that I was trying to order Italian food on Sunday afternoon and like everything was closed except for Spaghetti Warehouse. I did get I was able to get Spaghetti Warehouse, so that's what I ordered. But there was a bunch of Italian restaurants I wanted to try. They're all closed on Sunday. Come on, Syracuse. So then Monday we go. Monday was really a, a sort of a the, the the actual summit was Tuesday, Wednesday. So Monday was really just a get registered day, spend time talking to your uh, mentor, you know, really just put the final touches on your pitch. And um, also we had like a dress rehearsal, kind of a tech check that day where they mic you up and get you on stage and have you walk through and talk through one or two of your slides just to see uh, how you're going to do in terms of projecting. And of course I'm loud. So they were all good with us. Ours was kind of fast. Tuesday comes around. Tuesday was essentially an easy day. I mean, if I'm honest with you, Tuesday's to-do list was literally nothing it was just sit and watch the other pitches um this is where i start getting super intimidated though because i sit and i watch 10 companies pitch on tuesday each and every one of these companies brilliant just genius just every single company that went up there everyone i'm telling you within 30 seconds of them starting their pitch i went well they're gonna win (laughs) And I would say to my partner, I go, well, that's the best idea I've ever heard. My partner would go, come on. You said that about the last group. And I would go, no, I seriously, I don't see how this this group right here doesn't win. It's the best, that's the best idea in the history of mankind, what they're pitching right now. And, of course, you know, what happens is one of the, I guess, secrets of this pitch competition is the pitch has to be good, of course. You can't shit the bet in your pitch. But really where things get accomplished is the Q&A. The Q&A is where the judges get to pick something and start poking holes in it. And that's where we see how you answer and and really, you know, can, can you, you know, I suppose what I'm trying to say is, I don't know, like, it's like the, the actual pitch is just getting up to bat and making contact with the ball. The Q&A is seeing where did the ball land, you know? Yeah. Next day, now actually I should talk about that night because that night now I start to get nervous because as soon as the day is over and all the pitches have ended, now it's real. Now we're up next. Our pitch position was the next day, it was the Wednesday, day two, we were the final pitch of the first session. And I thought that was a good spot. Granted, it's right before lunch and some people will tell you don't pitch before lunch. I like pitching before lunch. People are hungry. They're eager and hungry. Let's talk about food right before lunch. It's a good time to get people talking about food, you know? So um, that night, Tuesday night, I start getting real nervous. I go to this judges, uh, uh, not judges, excuse me, investors happy hour thing. And they have last year's winner, this, this woman, Trish, who owns a company called Everybody Eat. And I start talking to her. And she's talking to me and she's giving me advice. And her advice to me was, you haven't worked hard enough yet. Go back to your hotel room and practice this pitch until you can't anymore, until you fall asleep. But I had this dinner I was supposed to go to. So now I'm getting all anxious. I go to this dinner. 
And all I can think about is I'm not earning it right now. I should be back in my hotel room and I should be doing this pitch over and over and over. We go to the original dinosaur barbecue. It was really cool in Syracuse. I take a picture of myself. I text it to John Stage. He's like, great to hear from you, buddy. Hope you enjoy, et cetera, et cetera. And finally, I find myself back in the hotel room like 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night. And I stood there and I gave this pitch seven times. Remember, it's 10 minutes long. So seven times in my hotel room that night, I do this pitch. Finally, as it described, I'm exhausted. I need to fall asleep. My throat's starting to hurt. I can't afford to lose my voice before tomorrow. Right? So it's like, go to bed. I go to bed. Of course, I can't fall asleep. I think I ended up falling asleep around 1 a.m. I woke back up around 4.30. I tossed and turned from 4.30 until about 6.30, and then I was up. And when I got up, I pitched three more times in my hotel room. So I had a total of 10 extra practice rounds going in. My big secret was I brought my earbuds, and prior to getting up on stage for about 40 minutes, I put in my earbuds and I started listening to music and just kind of pacing around. That was every bit as much of a secret as was the actual practicing of the pitch. The practicing of the pitch was huge because everything, it was just in me. It was just natural. There was no freezing. There was no forgetting. I had said it so many times at that point that I was going to be fine. But calming down the nerves was vital for the music. And I mentioned I watched every pitch except two. These are the two pitches I missed, were the two that went right before me because I had my earbuds in. So um, I'm listening to music, and, and I've only had one person ask me what I was listening to, but I can tell you exactly. The playlist was as follows. Hamilton soundtrack, Cabinet Battle 1 and Cabinet Battle 2. Bone Thugs and Harmony, Never Forget Me. Lil Wayne, I'm Me. And uh, Rockstar by Roddy Rich. I had like those five songs. Not necessarily my five go-to pump-up songs by any means, but they were like the first five songs that popped up in my randomized playlist based on what I'd been listening to recently. <laughs> and so they just I started listening to those, and for whatever reason, I started to get that I'm about to go in the game feeling, and my job is to sack the quarterback. You know, I hate to say it, and I don't want to sound – overly like masculine or you know anything like that but I started to feel like I was about to go up there and and you know and just fucking get them you know what I mean it wasn't nervous anymore it was like get me in there I'm ready to fucking rock and I know I'm cursing and I apologize for the cursing because it you know it seems like this should be more of a professional I'm just being honest with you. That's the exact feeling I had before I went on the stage. I thought I was going to be scared, nervous, and struggling to like catch my breath just from being nervous. But the the preparedness plus the calming before the storm with the music put me in the mode when I got on that stage I was ready to destroy. And then I went full Will Ferrell from old school. Stood up there, gave a pitch for 10 minutes, and I am telling you to this moment, I barely remember any of it. I can't wait because they are going to eventually make it available in uh, in high production form on YouTube. So I'll share that when that happens. But I don't remember really much of this pitch at all. I, I, I remember tiny little parts of it. I remember hitting a couple of things I liked. I remember missing something, which I think whenever the pitch comes out, what we might do as an episode is we might actually play the pitch and then I'll comment over the pitch and tell you what what was supposed to happen. Because there was one particular part, there were actually two. I can think of two parts where I missed something I was supposed to say. But, you know, the judges don't know that. They don't know what you were supposed to say, so they don't know you missed anything. Um, but then there was also a couple of little things that I added right there in the moment that I had never done before. That worked really well, which is going to get me around to what I think the secret is. Everyone told me after the fact, they're like, wow, you're so charismatic. And I do take a lot of pride in that. I take a lot of pride in the fact that people think I'm charismatic because I don't feel charismatic. I don't think I'm forcing it. I remember really early on in my radio days, I would force energy. And that's where you get, you know, the radio guy really talking to you about everything he's excited about today. That's like the forcing of energy. Truly being passionate about what you're talking about gives you the ability to be charismatic without 
actually trying. So the fact that people were telling me I was charismatic was something I, I was really just super pleased about. You know, I say a lot of self-deprecating stuff on here, but I'll tell you the truth. Something I'm proud of myself about is the fact that I'm able to be naturally charismatic without having to try to be. Because I did see a couple of other pitches where it was clear that they were trying to have energy, trying to come off charismatic, but the trying part was beating the charismatic part. You could just see that there was an effort being made to have energy. And and for me, I think it comes out naturally, and so I'm proud of that. Another thing that I did that I think really worked was I never memorized that thing, ever. I spoke from the heart. It was very similar every single time I did it. But I never wavered off of that original plan where all I was going to do was pull up a slide, glance at it, sneeze, and then, I'm just kidding, sneeze, and then know exactly what I wanted to get across in the next 30 to 60 seconds. I never wavered from that ever. And so what it ended up being was it really felt as though it was from the heart and that it was natural. Nothing was memorized, but it was all rehearsed. You see what I'm saying? Well rehearsed, not memorized. And that's how I landed. So natural charisma, well rehearsed, not memorized. And then one last element, I think, to the actual pitch that really helped is that I, I, I stayed who I am. I stayed authentic. Original versions of that pitch, like I told you about that first time where it just got destroyed, I was trying so hard to sound smart. I was trying to use language that I wouldn't normally use. I was trying to have a tone of voice similar to what I had heard in other pitches or in TED Talks or whatever it was, and it just wasn't me. And so I buried all of that, and I just spoke like myself. And there's little nuances in that that are different. You know, well-thought-out pitches by very smart, intelligent people do contain big words. They contain very complex sentences. They're very impressive. Mine has none of that. Mine, I talk like a person. I'll give you a, a, the tiniest little just miniature example of something that I do or did during my pitch that I was told not to do, that pitch, pitch 101 class would tell you don't do this. But I did it, and I think it works for me. And that is that they will tell you to never draw attention to your slide. In other words, never look at your slide and say, look at this slide, right? They know to look at the slide. They know. That's why the slide is there, <laughs> right? So don't tell them to look at the slide. We had a slide that I really wanted to draw particular attention to because it was like a timeline slide and it represented the timeline from uh, a dollar and a dream all the way up to like national distribution for a product. And it went from left to right across the slide. And when we got to that slide, I literally said the words, something along the lines of, all right, so check out this slide. That is absolutely something that any pitch or communications expert would tell you not to say. But do you know, want to know why I said that? Because that's what a regular person would say to a regular person if they wanted them to really pay attention to a slide. So I didn't try to sound extra smart. I didn't try to sound like anything different than what I was. I tried to sound like a person who was talking to another person about a thing. All of it was very dumbed down, but not necessarily just dumbed down, but it was all put into my personal voice. And that breakthrough happened at one point when Leo had gotten sick one day and I was asked to come home by my wife. And I got home, and she needed to work because she had a lot to do that day. And being that I own the business, one advantage is if I need to break away, I can break away. So I come home, and Leo's laying in bed, and he's watching TV, and I have my laptop with me. And I just started writing out the pitch word for word, um, like just as if I was giving it. And I, and I did it in my own words. There was no more trying to be smart. It was just what I would say if I was talking to you right now. And I got to tell you, I think that was the secret breakthrough. I think that putting it in my own language, so the charisma, the authenticity combined just 
charismatic and authentic. I just don't think you can beat that in a pitch. You just can't. So we give the pitch, and then it's over. And now the next thing is we have to sit and we have to wait several hours. Now, a little magic behind the scenes here is the announcement came Thursday morning as to who had uh, who had uh, earned the prizes. See, I almost said one. <laughs> who had earned the prizes. The award ceremony was actually filmed Wednesday evening, and then it was once again, another term I used earlier in the podcast, it was embargoed until later, meaning uh, you know, you're going to know who wins, but you cannot publicly say anything until the next morning. So the rest of the day goes by. I watch another five pitches, all five of them smarter than me and better than us. And finally, the award ceremony comes around, and this is one of the absolute strangest feelings in the entire world, and that is sitting there and listening to them list winners because we're talking about four $250,000 grants, two $500,000 grants, and then a million dollars. And so they do it in that order, right? The million is the is the is uh, the sort of the main event. So <clears throat> you're... You're sitting there, and there's 20 finalists, seven winners, and they start to list the winners, and you are simultaneously hoping and also not hoping to hear your name. I'm telling you, it's one of the trippiest, weirdest things ever, because you want to win something, and with every name that goes by that isn't yours, you are one step closer to winning the biggest prize, but you are also one step closer to winning nothing, and so you you are just like... You're dying to hear your name just to know that you that it wasn't all for nothing. But you are also just kind of also convincing yourself that as you don't hear your name, that it's a good thing. <laughs> so they go through. First thing they do is they announce this $10,000 Audience Choice Award. We do not win. Then they announce four $250,000 winners. We do not win. And again, is that good or bad? I don't know. We're down to three prizes now. Now, granted, all three prizes are bigger prizes, but there's only three companies left to win, and there's 16 of us sitting here. Now you only have a 3 in 16 chance of winning. Then they give away a student award, and now it's time for the $500,000 prizes. The very first thing that the commissioner of the New York State Department of Agriculture and Markets says is craft cannery, and you are filled with exertion in that moment it's like oh my god a half a million dollars wow we get up we go on stage we take pictures we shake hands we get handed an award uh we walk to the back they kind of had all the winners going to the back because then you got to go get your picture and stuff taken do some media and whatnot they announced the next five hundred thousand dollar winner by the time we get back there you know we settle down now it's time for the million dollar winner and we're back there now. We start talking about, we're like, wow, you know. And this is sort of where it hits me for the first time that I'm like, well, we didn't win the million dollars. And people hear that and they go, dude, shut up. But no, it did. It did. I, you know, I'm not, Listen, I am authentic and I'm not going to lie to you. $500,000 is amazing. It's huge. It's huge. We were there to win a million dollars. So then they announced the winner for the million and it's this company, Pro Agni. And the classiest thing in history happened, and that is that those guys went up on stage, and as it turns out, they were part of last year's presentation, or excuse me, part of last year's finalists, and they did not win anything. They were part of the 13 who won nothing. So they went up and they gave a speech about what it felt like to sit there not winning anything, and they encouraged everyone who did win nothing to come back again next year. And as soon as I heard that, I knew the right team won, because if I'm being honest with you, I don't know if I would have had the presence of mind to speak to those who didn't win. I think I probably would have been gracious and my speech would have been fine. You know, I wasn't going to go up there and be a braggadocious or anything like that. But I don't know if I would have thought in the moment to address the people in the room who didn't win anything. And as soon as I heard him do that, it occurred to me that might not have happened had I had to give that speech. And then I realized I was just outclassed. And I thought, great, these guys deserve to win. And then it was off to the races, man. Uh, we did. We were, we were embargoed, which means we have this information that we now have to go like 15 or 16 hours without telling anyone. 
Um, I did invoke what we call the mom rule, which is an unwritten rule, but I do believe that uh, you are allowed to tell your mother anything at any time. (laughs) So we did get in the car and start driving back to Rochester, and I did call my mom and tell her. So hopefully the Grow New York people. I think that it's an unwritten thing. I kind of feel like the Grow New York people, Governor Hochul, everybody at Economic State Development, I think if I told them all that I did break confidentiality, but it was with my mother, that they would all agree under the table, unwritten, of course, nothing anyone's going to make official. But I think everyone agrees there is an official, unofficial, excuse me, mom rule with these things where you're allowed to tell your mother. So I did. I told my mother. And then on the way home, we ate Shake Shack at a rest stop to celebrate. (laughs) That was that. Got home, finally saw my baby, saw Leo after a few days of not seeing him. So freaking cute, but he was asleep. But that because he was asleep meant I give, get, got to give him unlimited kisses and hugs and stuff because he was asleep and couldn't stop me. Because um, you know how I am. Sometimes I give him kiss, 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 and he goes, Dad, stop, Dad. So, um, yeah, got home, went, went to work the next day. Absolutely blew up once the announcement made, the email, the phone. Didn't get a, a lick of work done on the Thursday. Just did end up doing a ton of media interviews. Actually doing another one late this morning. I'm going to be um, recording with Channel 10 at 1030 this morning. I'm not sure what show for, but, um, yeah, that's it. That's Grow New York. That's Grow New York. Number one message, it's corny, but if there's one message I can give you, it's this. If you're sitting there thinking you are not smart enough or your company is not good enough to be on that stage, you're having the exact same thought that I had, and here we are $500,000 later. So give it a shot. Trust me, it's worth it.